Welcome to Dialogue Creates, More Than Talk, where we explore issues and solutions together through the lens of dialogue. Thank you for joining. Your hosts, Susan Taylor and Hitta Vanderpool. Hi, Hitta. Hey, Susan. So excited to be back with you for More Than Talk. I'd like to also take this moment to welcome our listeners. Hope you are all doing really well. And today we're going to be in conversation around those stories that we tell ourselves and how those stories shape our lives because they have a tendency to impact or influence our worldview and as part of that, our mindsets and beliefs. So as a way to start, I learned that there is a television series on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. Now, I've known that Ted Lasso exists for quite some time, and I've never watched it. And yet it's been suggested by many people in my life recently to give it a try. So I actually took the long Memorial Day weekend that we had here in the U.S. and decided to watch uh, the most recent season. And as part of that, it was really interesting to me, one episode in particular, I think it was episode nine in season three, where one of the teammates, one of the uh, soccer players decides that he's going to come out and then a reaction that is depicted with his closest friend, who is also one of his teammates, and how originally or initially I thought that his reaction was because he was upset that his teammate was a homosexual. And it appeared that he was very angry. It appeared that he was distancing himself from his teammate, despite so many efforts that the teammate was trying to stay in relationship. And so it wasn't until later in the episode, and I'm going to warn everybody now, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't until later in the episode when, when you find out, yes, he was incredibly angry, incredibly angry. And it wasn't for the reasons that you might've imagined when you first, you know, witnessed his behaviors. And so as we link that to these different stories, we tell ourselves through the lens of dialogue and some of those assumptions and some of those mindsets that come up for us and how we interact within ourselves and also with each other. I thought this might be a cool way, Hitta, because again, I was introduced to Ted Lasso um, and it was, it was quite compelling. And I thought it might be a good way to kind of kick off our, our discussion today. Yeah, that's very cool. And you were actually the one uh, introducing Ted Lasso to me. And so uh, I rigorously started to uh, watch as of uh, season one, episode one. <laughs> and uh, um, I've seen different episodes than you. So you d- you did do a spoiler for me because I haven't been to uh, season three just yet, but that's okay. Um, but I saw also in the other episodes that I have watched in season one, uh, lots of elements that actually came to uh, the same that you're just uh, referring to, the same you were just mentioning as the uh, what we call the, the, the essential elements of dialogue. Um, and it's certainly one of them. It's the assumptions we make. It's the stories we tell ourselves. Um, and, um, yeah, what, what comes to me is, is that the stories are being fueled, uh, basically from the moment we're born 
um, with our environment, uh, the country where we're living in, our upbringing, um, our education, uh, maybe first jobs, everything is actually fueling the way we see the world through our own lens, not necessarily the lens of dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the first thing that, that comes up for me. Well, I think that's so true. And, and in our work together, there's there's something that I remember you sharing with me during one of the client engagements that we were both co-facilitating, uh, this idea about mindsets and how they shape our lives, certainly shape our lives, yet they don't define us. And when I think about that, and I link it to uh, what I've seen uh, though thus far, um, with regard to Ted Lasso, but also in you know, my own personal and professional life, I think sometimes we feel like those mindsets are who we are. And then we attribute something to them, like the label of good or bad. And when I think about it that way, what comes up for me, linked to dialogue, is that if I can just hold that mindset or that moment as just one part of me, in one situation, in one moment in time, it kind of helps me to express it then and feel more comfortable expressing it. In Bohm's words, suspend it, to put it out there in front of myself. And if I'm with a group or with another person, also for that person or, or multiple individuals to examine as well and, and, and make links to that. So I was really... Um, because of your brilliance, I was, I was really curious about what you had shared with me those, those many years ago with regard to, you know, what it really means to, to have a mindset and how, again, why, while they can feel incredibly strong, that they're actually not defining who we are. So do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. And, and, and first of all, I think the, um, uh, some easy sentences uh, are reminding myself of, of, continuously uh, observing myself or be more in an observing uh, state. Um, so I am not my feelings. I, I might have feelings, but I am not my feelings. I'm not my thoughts mm -hmm. and I'm not my emotions. So that's, uh, that's, that's one of the things. Um, then uh, with reference to the different mindsets, I think there's many, but we uh, differentiate four key ones. Um, and the first one is the, the, the victim mindset. Um, a mindset from, uh, if we operate from that mindset, so again, it's not who we are. We are not a victim, but we operate from a victim mindset. Mm -hmm. um, then we tend to um, point at everything outside ourselves. So uh, just a, a quick example of uh, being late, coming late into a meeting, and then my uh, immediate response when I opened the door is by saying, well, uh, the train got delayed. And even that might be true, there is still no I in the sentence that I'm mentioning. So, yes, the train might have been delayed, and yet I was the one who took that, ac that actual train, and uh, I didn't uh, take into consideration a potential delay when I left my home. 
So the, the I, the word I is nowhere to be seen in a sentence coming from out of a victim mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the first one. And, um, the second one is, uh, and that's basically the opposite of a victim mindset is a, what we call a player mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, really related to that very word I coming into the sentence. So you're basically on the pitch and you're playing rather than observing the play and having all these comments on the, on the players in the field. Um, <clears throat> So that's uh, that's two out of four. Maybe you want to do the other two. <laughs> no, you're on a roll. Keep oh, going. Okay. All right. So um, then you have the what we call the know-it-all mindset, um, and that basically already tells you a little bit about uh, by just a name. But if you are convinced that whatever you know is the absolute truth, then operating from there, there it means there's no curiosity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, whenever people are commenting on, um, say, that you're, you're dealing with a project and people have comments on that project, um, when you operate from a know-it-all mindset, then the comment is not being seen towards the project, but the comment is taken very personally. So, uh, and that's, you're, you're immediately going into a, defending modus or maybe even worse it's an attacking modus uh, mm-hmm. based on what somebody else is is um is saying about you or what what you're doing um so that's very briefly the know-it-all mindset and then the opposite basically of that one is the learner mindset right. which and i mentioned the word curiosity already um it's really about staying curious asking open questions uh like what makes you say this um, because what you want to learn about is the view of the other person. And I think that's a nice link to uh, the opening statement you made in, in this podcast, uh, Susan. It's about not immediately assuming that, uh, w- that you already know where the other person is coming from or what the words that the other person is actually expressing, what they actually mean for that person. Right. So those, right. uh, that's briefly uh, the, the four mindsets um, uh, to elaborate on a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for that. And what comes up as I'm listening is this idea of fixed mindsets and growth mindsets. Absolutely. Especially linked to the last two that you described, the know-it-all and the learner, and how the know-it-all perhaps has more of a fixed mindset Whereas the learner has what's called a growth mindset because that person is opening himself or her or herself up to perhaps a different point of view uh, through curiosity. And when I think of fixed and growth mindsets, I can't help but think of Roger Bannister. And I think Roger Bannister's coming up because Ted Lasso takes place in the UK and Roger Bannister was also from the UK. And he's the one, as you know, who ran the first uh, sub four minute mile. And so if I think about it, he's, he's the perfect kind of example of what it means to take the polarity of fixed mindset and growth mindset and not see them as polar opposites, but instead see how they're actually interdependent upon each other. Because you can imagine, or I could imagine, you know, Roger Bannister having 
quite a few fixed mindsets around certain things that he learned as a runner, what it's like to run, you know, on gravel, for example, versus asphalt versus grass, you know, the wind speed and how that can alter your aerodynamics, if you will, with regard to speed and agility and flexibility. And at the same time, Roger Bannister was also, as I understand from the stories that have been written about him, a dreamer. He, he believed in possibility. He believed in possibility. And despite what his coaches were telling him about being able to run a mile in under four minutes, he still believed it to be true. So he had the growth mindset along with what he knew from his own experiences that were fixed. And despite all odds, he accomplished his goal. And he indeed ran a mile in less than four minutes. But here's the cool part. So that happened back, I think it was mm, 1953. I don't know. We'll have to Google it at some point. But it was quite a while ago. And within about two or three decades, more than 1,500 people had also been able to run a mile in less than four minutes. Yeah. And so yeah. what what do you think uh, made the difference? I think the- what makes it- Yeah, I think what makes the difference is, again, linking to David Bohm, us all being interconnected, giving permission almost to be in that same space of possibility, proving at another level that it can be done. And as part of that, maybe other people shifting their own worldviews and perspectives to to give it a try as well. It's, it's almost like if someone already did it, then it can be done. Exactly. I think that's part of it. Um, and again, linking both fix and growth, I think it also inspires, right? And when we're inspired and when we have awe, it brings out more of that curiosity that you spoke of. And it also creates a space for, you know, well, maybe it's possible for me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the words that you mentioned is, uh, is belief. I think yes. that's crucial. Um, if, uh, and I think we touched base on that in, I think our previous episodes, but, uh, the shared meaning piece. So we, when we interact with each other, then, um, the curiosity piece comes in because out of, from out of curiosity, we can search for shared meaning and a shared meaning can only be explored and found if, uh, if we are open and if we operate from an open mindset, but also if we firmly believe that it can be found, it's there. There is a strong belief in shared meaning being present. We just have to unfold and find it. Um, so I think that's uh, that, that's crucial. It is crucial, and it links some, to something else I've been thinking about since watching Ted Lasso. Uh, again, it takes place in Europe, and they travel all over Europe to play these different soccer games. And one of the places they go to is one of my favorite cities in the world and the city that you're from, Amsterdam. (laughs) Amsterdam. And as a part of one of the episodes, uh, they're in Amsterdam and they they all have some downtime and they all get to do different activities. And um, I noticed in some of the scenery um, depicted in in the episode, the, the Anne Frank house. And I went there, um, I've been there many times, and the first time I went there, the thing that really struck me, linking to what you just said about beliefs, and I think what we believe about ourselves and also what we believe about others. And I'll never forget when I finally made it up to the top floor, uh, as I was walking down this beautiful wooden floor, there was uh, a television mounted to the wall, and it was an interview 
that was done with the only family survivor, which was Otto Frank and Frank's father. And as I listened to what he was sharing, the, the biggest point that came away with me from that experience was when he talked about how close he was with his daughter. They were, you know, joined at the hip, if you will. He knew everything about her. He believed he knew everything about her until, in his own words, he read her diary. And it was really emotional for him because he believed he knew everything that was to be known about his daughter because of their deep relationship. And yet when he read the diary, he learned that he didn't know much about her at all and the impact that that had. And so it, for me, links to this idea that, you know, nobody really knows what's going on inside of us, but for ourselves, no one really knows the journey that we're on and the courage it might take for me to do something that would be really easy for you and, and vice versa. And how these beliefs that we hold can sometimes get in the way, even of linked to Roger Bannister and, and running that, that mile in under four minutes, the belief I have in myself about whether I would even try. And so for me, there's, there's just a really big link there uh, when we consider mindsets, yes, but also the assumptions that come with those mindsets and the way through which we see the world and how that can really influence and, may I say, impact both positively and negatively how we are in dialogue with each other, how we interact with each other, and how we engage with one another. Yeah, beautiful. And um, I want to share an experience that I had um, a couple of weeks ago when um, I was heading back from a client session that I had in London, and I had to get on on the tube. And um, we had such deep, uh, interconnected conversations in that session. And I noticed I, when I walked out of the room, got my bags and, and, and um, uh, in the direction of, of the tube, I, and we often talk about this, dialogue is a way of being. And I've, I felt through the experience of that, that session with the deep conversations we had and the connections that it, I was in that space um consciously mm-hmm. kind of a being state and when i um got in the the packed tube i i noticed i observed myself viewing each and everyone around me from the eyes of dialogue like with mm. with totally open mindset and curiosity and without getting into an actual conversation with them i was able to view them and uh, kind of awaken a curiosity in their life stories, but it 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 that the experience was very uh, authentic and genuine, and mm-hmm. um, and I got a smile on my face because I I it kind of felt that I knew everybody there without knowing their life story, but being open to their life story, and and be in that space that you called uh, the space of possibility, mm-hmm. and I think that's. Um, yeah, that's maybe the closest encounter I had in terms of feeling of when we talk about being dialogue. Right. Wow, that's so powerful. And, and I link it to shared meaning. When we can understand the essence of who we are as human beings without even knowing anybody else's story, 
and yet in being dialogue, look through the lens that uh, inform the principles, if you will, that underpin dialogue? Yeah, and so how uh, the world would would look differently if we if we would all consciously be in and out of that state. Um, right. You know, and we, you and I talked about it a lot. Um, the fact that we're not always in that state of mm -hmm. being actually teaches us uh, the importance of it. You know, if we would be on a constant level of it, we wouldn't be able to um, set it off against when we are not. So we won't be that conscious of what the implications are of yes. uh, coming from dialogue or not coming from dialogue. Yes, and, and yesterday, this is reminding me, yesterday when we were teaching our Mastering Bohmian Dialogue course, it was one of uh, the participants in that course who asked us all a question about awe and the essence of what it is to be alive. And he compared it to how we might look at a mountain or the vast ocean or something in, in a natural setting and how when we're looking at nature, curiosity comes more easily to us. Awe is present. Beauty is felt. The essence that we're all connected somehow is there. And that we might not experience looking at another human being in the same way. What if we could look at human beings in the way that we look at nature? What could that be like? And I think dialogue's a huge opportunity and does present, I think, additional opportunities to be inquisitive about each other's stories instead of making assumptions about why people are doing what they're doing, especially when there are things that might feel unpleasant to us or maybe, maybe I'm having a you know, a negative reaction or a know-it-all reaction to in, in linked to one of the mindsets you described. And as I, as I share that, or, you know, we're coming up here toward the end of our time together. Um, first of all, I just, I want to give a big plug to Ted Lasso as a newbie <laughs> and I'm watching it backwards now because I did end up watching all of season three and now I'm on season two. <laughs> so eventually I'll catch up with you on season one. <laughs> Uh, really highly recommended. Uh, it's really fantastic. I can see so many dialogue links there, as you said, when we first started this conversation. And also, interestingly, uh, before the whole Ted Lasso experience, I had stumbled across something on Hulu called A Small Flight, which is really the, the Anne Frank story through the eyes, through the story of Otto Frank's secretary. I think her name is Meep. And to see the story through her eyes, again, helped me deeply understand another part of that whole journey. So that's how I'm leaving this call, feeling incredibly grateful and connected and would love for you to share some words of wisdom, perhaps, before we conclude. Well, there were, there were two words in almost your, your last sentence, which was part and whole. And I think the curiosity aspect and the fact that we have an open mindset for uh, stories from out of different views actually allows us to get a feel of the whole. So whether we are in a meeting room or we are with a large group or we are just with, um, uh, with one other person, if we are open 
to view through the lens of the other person and actually asking open questions yes. from out of curiosity, that's when we, we, we tend to get a, gri a grip on the whole. And uh, I think if, if we uh, continue uh, living our lives with, it, with the eagerness to grasp the whole, mm -hmm. then this is the only way of getting there. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my two cents at the end of this episode. And uh, it was, uh, again, a feast of uh, doing this with you. Looking forward to the next one. Me too, Hida. Thank you so, so much. And thank you, everybody else, for listening to More Than Talk. And we'll see you next time. Stay tuned. Thank you for participating with us. Please visit our LinkedIn page to share your thoughts, questions, and suggestions for future episodes. Remember to like us, share, and subscribe. Until next time, this has been More Than Talk.